All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on Paul's letter to the Philippians. We are in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through the end of the chapter. In fact, we're going to include the first verse of chapter 4 in this session because it really seems to wrap up this section in the chapter break between 3 and 4. is an unfortunate accident of history. It really isn't a good spot to put it. So we're going to go 3.12 through 4.1 in this session and look at Paul's thoughts there. And this section picks up really where the last section ended. Paul, in our previous section, had said in 3, 1 through 11 that he had described the goal of his life, the aim of his life, was to know Christ. He wants to be found on the final day knowing Jesus, and he's aiming in that direction. He's looking forward to the resurrection of the dead because of that. This section picks up by saying, and I haven't arrived yet. I, I'm still on my way there. I'm still pressing on towards that. I haven't arrived. So listen to chapter 3, verse 12, where he says, Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. Um, not that I've already arrived is the idea. Not that I've already reached the goal. Not that I already know Christ fully or perfectly. Not that I've achieved everything that I'm aiming for or have already become perfect, already been made complete. Or the idea of become perfect is reach the goal, reach the finish line. Not that I've already obtained it or have become complete and perfect, but... He says in verse 12, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So he's saying, I haven't arrived. I keep pressing on. My eyes are for it. I keep moving towards the goal. I press on so that I may lay hold of, may take hold of that for which also I was taken hold of by Jesus. And so he's aiming towards this goal of knowing Jesus and the the final day, the final destination being found in Christ, but he hasn't arrived yet. And so he says in verse 13, brothers, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I haven't gotten everything there is to get yet. Paul never believed that our present experience of Jesus, as good as it was, is the sum total of all there is to obtain, that there is more to obtain, there's greater knowledge of Christ to obtain. Our current relationship with Christ is by faith, as he says in 2 Corinthians 5, and someday it'll be by sight. And so in the meantime, we're pressing on towards that goal. And so he says, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, this is uh, this describes really Paul's mode of living, right? Here's one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal. And that's the one thing he does. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the one thing he does. So his eyes are forward. He doesn't rest on past accomplishment. He doesn't rest on his past discipleship. He presses on. He looks forward. He's pressing towards the goal. And notice there in the second half of verse 13, the two participles, forgetting and reaching. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching toward what lies ahead. And those two participles, forgetting and reaching, describe the manner in which he presses on. This is how he presses on. How does he press on? Well, he forgets what lies behind. He's not looking life, uh, living in the rearview mirror, right? Like he's not constantly looking over his shoulder and thinking, man, I sure did a good job back there. Or man, that was kind of rough back there. He's not, he's not looking over his shoulder. He's looking forward. Every 
good athlete, particularly a, a distance runner, will know that uh, to be running, looking over your shoulder is a sure way for things not to go well. Paul says, I forget what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. And so I'm straining towards the future. I'm, I'm leaning into what lies ahead. I'm, I'm straining towards, reaching towards what lies ahead. So forgetting what's behind, reaching towards what lies ahead, I press on, Paul says, towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um, it's like he's running a race, and this is the this is the focus of his life. He's looking towards the final day to the prize when he arrives with with Christ, and that's what his ultimate goal is. He knows that he will not have arrived, and he will not have obtained everything there is to obtain until the final day, until he's with Christ. Now, in verse fifteen, then he says, "Let us therefore, as many as are perfect." Hold on, hold on. Wait, he just said in verse 12, not to have already become perfect. And now he says, as many as are perfect. Those two words are, they overlap, but they don't necessarily have to have the same meaning. And so in verse 12, when he says not to have already become perfect means not to have already become complete. I haven't arrived. I haven't reached the goal. I'm not complete. Verse 15 has more the sense of mature. Let us, therefore, as many as are mature is the idea in verse 15. So that perfect in verse 15 has more the force of sense of mature. So do you think you're mature in Christ? Well, if you're mature in Christ, then listen to what he says. As many as are mature have this same attitude, have this same mindset. In other words, it, the, uh, the mark, one of the marks of maturity in Christ is to recognize we haven't arrived. One of the marks of maturity in Christ is to recognize we have to keep pressing on. We have to keep straining forward. We have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and pursuing Christ with all uh, we've got. We can't just rest on our past accomplishments and our past service to Jesus. We can't say, eh, you know, in the first 15 or 20 years of following Jesus, I did a lot. I served a lot. Uh, I, you know, I learned a lot of the Bible. I think I'm good now. Uh, one of the marks of maturity is to have the same attitude, Paul says. Let us, therefore, as many as are mature, have the same attitude. And he says, in verse 15, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. In other words, Paul's going to trust that God's going to make it clear to you. If your attitude is, is wrong, if you don't recognize your need to keep pressing on, if somehow you're a little confused about that, uh, Paul's got confidence that God will make that clear to you. Um, and then verse 16, however, he says, let us keep living up to that same standard to which we've attained. In other words, let us not regress. Let us not go backwards in our following of Jesus and our discipleship to Jesus. Let's keep moving forward, keep going forward. If we've reached this level of discipleship, this level of maturity, this level of holiness, let's not go backwards. Let's keep going forward and keep growing. So let us keep living up to that same standard that we've obtained, to that same understanding that we've obtained. Um, and then he says in verse 17, Brothers, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Notice the explicit call for us to imitate what Paul has just described about himself all the way through chapter 3 here, that he wants us to imitate him. He's offered us a concrete pattern for following Jesus. And so he says, 
Join in following my example. Do the same thing. Reorient your life all around Jesus. Be done with past accomplishments, past achievements. Be done with relying on the flesh and press on towards knowing Jesus and gaining Jesus. Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. We'll see this again in chapter 4, but Paul believed Discipleship requires concrete patterns, concrete examples. It doesn't happen on accident. People need concrete examples in order to follow Jesus. And so uh, if you're mature in Christ, you're an example to others, and you need relationships with people who are not as far along in their faith so that you can be an example to them and give them a pattern of following. And if you're fairly new at following Jesus or young in your faith, you need relationships with the more mature so that they can give you a concrete pattern. And we need to invite people into our life so that they can see how we follow Jesus. Not because we're perfect or complete, but because we at least provide a concrete pattern of what it looks like to pursue Christ with everything we have. That's Paul's invitation. So he's inviting us to imitate the very example of himself in his following of Jesus. Well, then what he does in verse 18 and 19 is he describes some who it's like, they don't live this way. They may claim to follow Christ. They may claim to know God, but they don't live this way. And it breaks his heart. So listen to his description of people like that in verses 18 and 19. He says, For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even weeping. His heart breaks over this. Many walk. They carry out their life this way. Um, They are enemies of the cross of Christ. Um, So these people presumably claim some knowledge of Christ. They've had some experience of the cross, and yet the way they live their life, they're actually enemies of the cross of Christ. The way they live their life and carry out their life goes against everything the cross stands for. The self-giving love of the cross, the the cost of the cross, uh, Jesus dying to rescue them from the present evil age, right, and invite them into his very own kingdom. They don't live according to the culture of the standards of his kingdom. They're enemies of everything Jesus died for. That's the point. For many walk of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And Paul has four Four phrases that describe them in verse 19. He says, whose end is destruction. The road they're walking on leads to destruction. That It's a dead-end street. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their appetite. What he means by that uh, is their, their God is their, their belly. Their God is their, their sensual appetites. Their God is their fleshly indulgences. You know, they... That's what really they're serving. They're serving their own appetites, whose glory is in their shame. They, the things they boast in and revel in are things they ought to be ashamed of, is the sense of that, whose glory is in their shame. So they glory in things they ought to be ashamed of. And who set their mind on earthly things. So the focus of their life is on earthly things. And earthly things in that phrase doesn't mean the practical necessities of everyday life doesn't mean, you know, paying the bills and uh, mowing the lawn and getting to work on time. That's not what earthly things means here when Paul uses it like this. Earthly things here, uh, it means the things of fallen culture around us, the things of fallen humanity around us. You see this in Colossians chapter 3 where Paul talks about removing, you know, the earthly things from our life. And he lists off anger, malice, uh, immorality, greed, and these sorts of things. It's those things. It's the the values 
and the practices of fallen human culture and fallen human thing. And these people, that's what they're preoccupied with. That's what they talk about. That's what they think about. That's what their mind is set on is the fallen way of life of the culture around us. So these people may have some experience of Christ. I'm not so sure exactly who they are, but Paul's like, don't follow their example. Follow my example. Don't follow their example because you want to keep pursuing Christ with all you've got. And so don't look at people who claim the name of Jesus, but they're not sold out to knowing Jesus. They're not sold out to living with Jesus and for Jesus and living like Jesus in this world. So don't follow their example. And then in verse 20, Paul gives the reason for that. Verse 20, notice, begins with the word for. For has that sense particularly here of almost because. Here's the reason. Why do you need to follow Paul's example and don't follow these people's example? Well, here's why. For our citizenship is in heaven. Now, we need to make sure we understand what Paul is doing here. When he says our citizenship is in heaven, remember, he's playing off of the Philippians' circumstances. Remember, Philippi was a Roman colony. It was like a little colony of Rome in northern Greece. And they were proud of their citizenship. They had special rights and privileges because of that citizenship. They, had, uh, they were you know, free from certain taxes because of that citizenship. We talked all about that in our introductory uh, session on this commentary. So he's playing off of their situation. He's saying, just like you're a colony of Rome in northern Greece. Well, we who are followers of Jesus, we're like a colony of heaven on earth. So when he says our citizenship is in heaven, what he's not saying is, so we're really not at home in this world and we just got our ticket to heaven and we're just waiting to get there someday. And so just hang in, be tough, grit your teeth, because someday you'll get to go to heaven when you die. That's not really his point. The point of Rome making Philippi a colony wasn't so that all the citizens of Philippi could come and move to Rome. The point was to export Roman culture and Roman ideals to Philippi and to northern Greece. That was the way citizenship worked. So when Rome established little colonies throughout the empire, the point was to export their culture to those places, not to get those people uh, to move back to Rome. Well, that's the point Paul's making here. Why should we not follow these people who are enemies of the cross of Christ? Because our citizenship is in heaven. We live for the kingdom of heaven, and our job is to embody the culture of that kingdom in the here and now, to live out the values and ideals and the culture of the kingdom of heaven wherever we find ourselves living now. So in my case, I live in Boise, Idaho, and the church in Boise, Idaho is to flesh out and to embody the values and the, the culture of the kingdom of heaven here in Boise, Idaho. Wherever you live, whether it's in the United States, in Canada, in Africa, Zimbabwe, South Africa, right? wherever it's at, wherever you find yourself living, the job of the church is to be um, a colony of heaven in that little place on earth. And so our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's playing off of the Greco-Roman context of their day and age. As a colony of Rome in northern Greece, in Philippi, um, the, the Philippians and Philippi itself, they looked to the emperor as Savior. This is an imperial title. They looked to the emperor as Savior um, and Lord, right? That Those were 
imperial titles. Savior was uh, Caesar was Savior and Lord, and he's saying, no, we don't look to Rome and to uh, Caesar to be our Savior. We have a different Savior and a different Lord, uh, Jesus the Messiah. And so we eagerly wait for our Savior to come from our homeland to our place, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Savior and our Lord. And by the way, Messiah doesn't mean, it's not Jesus' last name, it means anointed, anointed as king. So Jesus is the true king. It's not Caesar is Lord, it's Jesus is Lord. It's not Caesar is Savior, Jesus is Savior. And we're looking to heaven for our Savior to come now to earth to establish his kingdom here. And someday he will come completely and totally. But in the meantime, um, we look to him and we embody his culture here. When we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're praying is, in the here and now, may we, your people, live out your kingdom to the best of our ability by the power of your spirit here and now, knowing that ultimately someday you're going to come and you're going to um, renew the whole earth and the new Jerusalem is going to come out of heaven and your kingdom will come fully and completely. And we look forward to that. So the reason we want to follow Paul's example and the reason we don't want to walk like the enemies of the cross of Christ is because we're citizens of heaven's kingdom and we're looking for heaven's king to come and establish his kingdom here. And we right now are like colonies of heaven on earth and we want to embody heaven's culture here on earth where we live. That's how we're a city set on a hill. And verse 21 then says, Who, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of his power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. So when heaven's king does come, when Jesus does return, he will resurrect us and these earthly fallen bodies will, will be transformed into glorified eternal bodies that will live forever with God in Christ on a new earth forever and ever. Um, and a lot of times we miss that, that we're, the goal is not for us to go to heaven when we die, uh, though if we're in Christ, that will happen. But the ultimate goal is for us to be resurrected, to have the same sort of glorified body that Jesus had in his resurrection that can live for eternity on a restored, renewed, glorified earth. And that's our ultimate hope, is a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells and a body fit for that new world. And Jesus, it says here, has the power to do that by the exertion of the power that he has to subject all things to himself. As king over all, as the universe's true king, Jesus has the power to bring all things and to subject himself, even to getting rid of death and even getting giving us new bodies. Therefore, 4.1 says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown. Notice the emotional language Paul has for the Philippians. You guys are my joy and my crown that makes me so happy, and I long to see you. Therefore, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Um, and this is the ultimate appeal here at the end. Doing this, pressing on, following my example, living as a colony of heaven on earth, in that way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. What a great call for us as the people of God. We live in a world where it's not always easy to follow Jesus and where it's hard and, 
and we're, we're pressing on day after day, and sometimes it feels like a slog, and yet, um, with Paul following his example, we want to set our gaze on heaven's true king and living out his kingdom in the here and now, pressing on to knowing him, walking with him, being conformed to him, as Paul longs to do, so we long to do. That is the heartbeat of this section of Philippians. That's the call for us as God's people. We are a colony of heaven on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. May we set our gaze on heaven's king. May we pray regularly for his kingdom to come and his will to be done in and through us now and ultimately forever by his very own power.